Today we're going to be making Eggs Woodhouse. And since I'm not a servant or a woman, the actual cooking is going to be done by celebrity chef Alan Brown. Uh, actually, uh, it's Alton. Uh, not according to that. Uh, anyway, this dish is like a, a cholesterol Katrina. You should really save it for, for special occasions, like this new holiday called morning. What is your cholesterol level? I assume it's awesome, since the alcohol constantly flushes it out of my veins. That, that is absolutely not... Back with another exciting edition of Grill How Long Stick, Mr. Ten Minutes. Thank you for the callback, sir. I appreciate it. Was that a polite callback? It was. What is you? I'm going to kill you. Take two. All right. Uh, Grill Long State Mister recording to you uh, in Seattle, Washington on the beautiful South Lake Union. Boating season is here, people. I know. We are recording on the water at Studio 212, part of the Soundcasting Network. I am your current host. I could be replaced. Who knows? Give my two-week notice. I don't know. Uh, Bobby Stills, across from me. Uh, Jonathan Tunamathan, Sleepy Fez, Sleepy Head. Yeah, sleepy face. Wait I like you, that. Wait till you get that bowling ball. I know, right? Your backpack. <laughs> I'm gonna be dead. How far along is your lady? Uh, she is. She just hit her third trimester. Whoop whoop! Shout out, Miss Sarah. Can I say her name? I, I mean, what's her you, last you name? Did, the so. stalker. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah, we're back. Episode seventy-one. Did I say that? No. Seventy-one. We made it, people. We're old. <laughs> Over the hill. Over the hill. Anyway, yeah, uh, work updates. We're not supposed to be doing those, but I've given my two-week notice at my job. Oh, no. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I am I was quite frustrated at my job. Uh, I don't think they were happy with me either. I don't know. They reassured me they were happy with me. <laughs> the owners did. My boss did. Reassured me. It was that. a mutual breakup. Yeah. Well, I wanted to stay, but I needed to go. And we were talking about it today, you know, for a lot of people out there who aren't in the restaurant shit, about two years is about the lifespan of a restaurant kitchen worker at one establishment. Yeah, for, for some. If you're not running the kitchen or, yeah. you know, you haven't moved positions like to maybe front of the house management or, you know, maybe a different shift from brunch leader to like night lead, you know, two years is about as as long as you want to last. And I almost made it two years at the sandwich shop, but I got a job offer. I've had a couple job offers um, at different restaurants around town. Uh, you know, your friends always get moved into a new position and they want to bring people in that they trust and they know. So they've worked with you before and so they know that they can count on you. And I've always shot them down, bang, bang. But uh, I got some friends who uh, are opening up a place down in downtown uh, Seattle, uh, Belltown, a place called Jupiter. Um, it's an art bar slash arcade uh, type thing. And they uh, bought an oven and wanted somebody to run their kitchen. So uh, Eric Jackson was one of our previous guests on here, was doing some consulting, uh, called me up, met up with them. Uh, Kind of talked me into it, but it was really my friends who owned the place that talked me into it. So, put in my two weeks. Everything's all good in the hood. That's where I'm at. Johnny, how's it going? June, baby? Busy. Very, very busy. Busy? You want to keep it at that? Uh, Yeah. I want to also say if you want to come down and eat some food and it's bomb, 
Come down to June, baby. Um, 65th in Ravenna. Actually, 62nd in Ravenna. I don't know why I keep on saying 65th. But, um, yeah, we did fried chicken Sunday this week. Uh, sold 30 chickens in about an hour and a half, two hours. Um, Let me hear your chicken, Johnny. No. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was. Johnny, let me see your cock. It's, it's a good time. And uh, Show me we're your cooking cock. good food. So, yeah. Can I see your cock? No. Come on. The listeners want to hear. No, they don't. Let's just hear your chicken. Kaka. <laughs> That's like a hawk. <laughs> All right. Uh, Keith will be proud, who is not present at this current moment. Queef Boogie. We got a no show Keith. What are we going to call him from now on? Um, he doesn't like Queef Boogie, so we're going to see Keith. The calling. Invisible Producer. The invi- Keith, Queef Boogie, the Invisible Producer. <laughs> so he's not here, but he would be happy we kept our intro uh, under uh, five minutes. So that's that. Johnny, can I have that crisp dollar out of your pocket right now? Yeah. Because uh, Chef Eduardo Jordan did not win uh, Best Chef Northwest. But thanks for that. That dollar. Listen to that. In my defense, at least I was on my chef's side. (laughs) Yeah, but you called it. So that's what we're going to be talking about first. Maybe you people care. Maybe you don't care. I really don't care too much. I just care about my regional stuff. Uh, But it's nice to know. Be in the know. So it is. It's nice to know. But I also agree with you that I don't necessarily care that much because it's a popularity contest at the end of the day. Yeah. We're going to get we're going to delve into this situation of like awards and what makes you the best restaurant in this episode. Um, so, Johnny, with that, let's hear uh, let's hear the, the the winners and the losers of the James Beard Award. Really know 2017. I know. Johnny <laughs> said he had some inside information, but I don't think he can share it. Nope. Shy town nobody was shot? Unfortunately not. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> bang, bang. All the restaurant owners gunned down yeah, in right? Chicago. <laughs> Food declines in the United States by 80%. <laughs> okay, what do we got, Johnny? Um, so they had their uh, James Beard Awards in Chicago, which they... Do they usually have it in Chicago or does it rotate? It moves around, it moves I believe. Around? Okay. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it was in Chicago this year, which was pretty cool. You know, a lot of good places to eat out there. The Alinea is out there. Um, yeah, and Alinea opened up their new restaurant, too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but that's cool. Uh, but, yeah, so basically we're going to give you, we got an article from um, Eater. Oh, I'm on Tasting Table. Oh, you're oh, <laughs> You can find it anywhere. So read along with us, people. You can pause right here if you'd like and open up. Um, just look up James Beard Award winners. Yeah. So we're just going to go over the top five biggest surprises of the. Oh, you're going over the surprises. Yeah. Okay. Then you can. Then you'll touch on other stuff. Then I sure. Guess. Okay. You cool. Like Johnny. Cool. Whatever. Um, Equal anyway. Rights. Equal rights. We live in Seattle. <laughs> anyway, so the first one is uh, Topolo Bampo. I don't know if I'm saying that. Tobolo Pombo. Tobolo Pompo. Is this English? I don't know. It looks like some like Swahili shit or something like that. <laughs> anyway, um, so they won Outstanding Restaurant for this year. And um, they are a 10-year-old restaurant uh, that holds national standards for barrier of consistent and quality and excellence in food, atmosphere, and service by virtue of having an age requirement. This isn't necessarily the best restaurant in the country. Plenty of restaurants under the 10-year mark are firing on all cylinders, but typically in this one that had the most lasting impact and has won its 
won the award. Um, the recent winners of this award were Alinea and Blue Hill. Um, also, the Slanted Door. Oh, yeah. I've been to the Slant. That's the one in Portland, right? The yeah. Southern Restaurant. Yeah. So you have to have, uh, to win the Outstanding Restaurant, you have to have been uh, in operation for more than 10 consecutive years. No, no closures. No closures. I feel like there's a lot of restaurants that uh, a lot of places close down and they revamp yeah and they, they or they'll get a new chef it's hard to keep that standard and yeah, that really quality hard. of food when you're open for so long and actually like it must be hard Capolo to polo bampo yeah to keep the uh people coming in chicago there's a couple different winners from chicago this year uh yeah actually um yeah they're from chicago um anyway that was pretty cool uh one g- cool thing los angeles didn't win anything too bad there's other words for taco trucks. <laughs> uh, they have a lot of good food down in uh, in Los Angeles, though. They do. I mean, maybe they're ahead of their time. Maybe they're ahead of the time, or because maybe they're not with you. That they're not. They're really, really, really in L.A. They're really, really getting rid of, get rid of that like forward thinking restaurant, like fancy gastronomy mm-hmm. type, sick, coursed out meals. They're really getting away from that. Well, that's good because that's what the people want these days anyway, it seems like. Um, I feel like maybe not enough uh, chefs got their names on the list in time because that happens a lot. Yeah, because like, you have to be submitted. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I mean, and you have to resubmit. Like, if yeah. you get selected, you have to submit your name back. Um, and sometimes, you know, real chefs, they're a little too busy <laughs> to be sending out mail. That's why you have personal assistants and uh, general managers uh, for that sort of stuff. Anyway, um, Sarah Grun, Grunberg and Rebecca Wilcombe won their first nominations. Um, not only do women rarely win Best Chef, it's almost unheard of for women to win on their first nomination. Grunberg is the first woman in Chicago to win the medal on her first shot since uh, at least 2005, while Wilcombe won the category that didn't even have any female nominees last year. There was only, I believe, um, <clears throat> three. I believe there's only like uh, three or four chefs nominated this year. Female? Uh, for James Beard, yeah. Yeah, I think last year was one. Yeah. And so. wasn't it Jewel? Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, something like that. I know that she was on the list. This um, year. I, you know who owns um, that Topolo Bampo? No. Fucking Rick Bayless, dog. Yeah. <laughs> nice. He's a G. What a nice guy. I can't <laughs> see him. I cannot see Rick Bayless yelling at anybody in his kitchen. And if he does, you probably just have to smile at him because you're like, what? I fell in love with it. Was this show? Is this show Taste of Taste of Mexico? I don't know. Uh, he, I've read like a couple of his cooking books. It, they're all like Latin American. Like, <laughs> all of his cookbooks. Are well, Latin. Tambolo Popo sounds like uh, it could be from south of the border. Maybe, possibly. Um, Zach Engel continued the. Al- Alon Shia domination streak. I have never heard of like half of these places. We don't. Yeah, man. We're not really. We need to keep up on our, on our food stuff. We don't travel to these exotic locations. <laughs> exotic, but. I mean, we could pick up a book and read about them, I guess. Um, compared to the past Rising Star Chef winners, New Orleans, Zach Engel, New Orleans, nice, um, did not have the strongest odds. It was the Shia Chef de Cuisine's first nomination, while Momofuko's Matt uh, Rodef- Rodefricker. That's a weird one. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's the guy that won the cooking. Co- he was the team leader of the cooking competition, the Olympics of cooking. Oh, damn! That that's an upset. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so the, his chef seemed to uh, to be from the right city, NYC, with the right number of previous nominations won, Dixon says. In many ways, the victory also belongs to Alone Shia, Engel's uh, boss, who is on quite a streak. Um, Shia won Best Chef South uh, for Dominica. In 2016, he won Best New Restaurant for his restaurant. Um, Now, Chef de Cuisine, right? What? This is weird. Sorry, I'm all out of it. Um, Anyway, they're throwing like all these really weird ass names like Emphenomis. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so yeah. How did Eater's picks and predictions fare? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they did that good. Um, I think out of the 12 categories, they only had like four or five people that that won in there. All right. I'll run through the list real quick. Um, so best new restaurant, La Cow Cow, La Cuoco, uh, NYC. Um, I don't know. I've never even heard of half of these places. Uh, Outstanding Baker, Mark Furstenberg, Bread First in Washington, D.C. Outstanding Bar Program, Arnaud's French 75 bar in New Orleans. New Orleans has been hitting hard. Yeah, they have been. Um, Outstanding chef, Michael Salamanov, Sahav, Philadelphia. I've heard about this place. He's kind of sick from what I hear. Sick Uh, in a good way or a bad way? No, sick in a good way. I've seen interviews with him and seen him on a couple of television shows. Outstanding pastry chef. I love that they they throw shine everywhere. Yeah. Um, Gaia Olivier. Oliviera uh, from Daniel and NYC, Outstanding Restaurant. We already covered that. And Outstanding Restaurateur, uh, Steven Starr from Star Restaurants. He owns Lococo, uh, Serpico, uh, Upland, and a couple other places in Philadelphia. Outstanding Service, Blue Hill, which is always on uh, always on the list. Interesting. I've heard differently about that place. What? About the service. Where Blue Hill? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but they're always winning something. Yeah. So maybe they maybe they focused on service this year, <laughs> opposed to last year. <laughs> they didn't win for best service. Um, now, uh, shout out to our homies here in Seattle. Outstanding wine program, Johnny. Who do you think got it here in Seattle? This is nationally. Nationally, Na- but it was in Seattle. We won. Oh, that's interesting. I have no idea. Candlest, man. Oh, Candlest. Oh, yeah. I forgot that Candlest won something. Everyone's like, how did Candlest win something? Yeah. Um, Outstanding wine, beer, or spirits professional, Sam Calagione from Dogfish Headcraft Brewery. Um, Dogfish is crack. Uh, If you'd like to hear more about Dogfish, uh, you can tune in to How to Be a Better Drinker. They did an episode on Dogfish. Probably about two months ago. So it'll be in their title if you look up How to Be a Better Drinker on the Soundcasting Network. It's there. Uh, Rising uh, Star Chef of the Year. You got to be under 30 years old. Zachary Engel of Shia. Shia. That's New Orleans as well. New Orleans, yeah. Um, Regional Chefs. Uh, The only one we'll talk about is uh, the one up here in... um, Northwest. Northwest. Greg Denton and Gabrielle. I don't know how to say her name. I don't want to butcher it. Gabrielle Denton of Ox, Johnny, you called that. Yeah, so. I mean, I from what I've heard, they are doing really, really good stuff. I just haven't been there myself. I want to take a trip down there one day, but right now, money is tied up. Yeah, so I didn't get to go there either. Um, a lot of people were expecting them to win, though. Yeah, there's a bunch of other subcategories we're not going to cover, but what we are going to get into is how these restaurants operate and how they're up for awards. Yeah. Um, why they are so high up there in ranking, and that is because people, unpaid labor, okay? <laughs> not slave labor. Not slave labor. These people are volunteering. They're not indentured. 
They are, is that, did I say that correctly? Yeah, like indentured servitude. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so basically, uh, Eater, along with the the, well, the the list of 50 best restaurants and the James Beard Awards, they did a, a story about, um, you know, how these places succeed with so much fame and so much, so many awards and accolades. And it's because... Um, it's all the unpaid labor that they use. Yeah. I would say what, like 65% of kitchens of these restaurants, types of restaurants are unpaid? Yeah, no, more than that. Because there's a couple of restaurants, I believe, um, uh, Renee, from Noma. Noma says he, he has about a paid, he has a paid staff of about 20 paid employees, full-time workers. But he has 30 volunteers. Sure. So, but then... Um, uh, Grant Ossage, Ossage, how do you say his last name? From Alenia, he uh, says that he he pays all of his all of his stages. Yeah, because it's I mean it's hard to. Well, it's hard to get around the wall here in America, over in Europe and stuff like that. You know, you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. It's kind but of a requirement. It's basically an apprenticeship. Yeah, um, and they're saying like back in the day, you know, a lot of times you had to pay an apprentice. Uh, no, a, apprentices paid you to learn your craft. And so that's that's the way they get away with it. Um, but so it, it's tough these days because like you got to think about like a lot of these people are going overseas. So I remember in the article they were talking about like how do people save up enough money to live in Spain for six months? Um, you know, how do people make enough money to spend six months in New York or like any of these places where cost of living is so much higher than what cooks are even getting paid? Yeah, well, that's the thing about it is, is that uh, most of these restaurants, I mean, fuck, let's get getting deep in this shit. Uh, <laughs> the thing about most of these restaurants is, is that, um, you know, you go to culinary school, right? And that's what, $30,000, right? Somewhere around there. Somewhere 40, around 30,000, yeah. 40,000, I don't know. Didn't go to culinary school. Um when you get your degree from culinary school, a lot of people don't look at that like it's anything. No. You still have to go around a stage and work with some other people. It's hard to get you get a resume submitted that gets picked at one of these super fancy restaurants because you have no kitchen experience. experience. Yeah. So you're not going to get chosen for one of these places over you know, overseas. So you got to find a local restaurant that'll bring you in. Then once you get some staging and maybe a little bit of work under your belt from culinary school, then you can apply to go stage overseas. Yeah. People don't really want to teach you basic skills. No. And what Johnny was trying to say is that you, you know, how do you save up money to move overseas and work for free, basically out of the country and be able to survive. Yeah. Well, it comes from your family having money, your family having wealth. Well, that sucks for a lot of these cooks out here that don't have money. Well, I mean, it, well, they were talking about, you know, there, there's a couple other different, you know, uh, fields of work that people uh, do unpaid internships. Law is one of them. Um, a lot of the corporations, you get your foot in the door by working for free. But then when you start making money, you're making exponential amounts. Yeah. And that's the thing is that the only thing that and that's that's what perpetuates the whiteness and the money staying within the family and friends network. Yeah. Is that they're going to give the jobs, you know, the way you get your foot in the door is by knowing somebody and you work there for free. 
and then they give you a job. The only way that you can work there for free is if you have somebody that's going to give you money or pay for your rent, pay for your food, pay for your clothes. So that's the only way, way you can really survive. New York, San Francisco, L.A., Seattle, I don't know. With tech companies, we don't really do that. But Spain, uh, London, Paris, you know, the only way you can live in these cities and work these jobs for free is by having coming from wealth in your family. Yeah. So especially a lot, like London and you know, like England is expensive. I mean, we're getting off topic, but you know that. But I mean, if you want to become a master chef, you know, you got to go work with the best. Yeah, it's true. And to work with the best, you got to go to these expensive cities. See, but my thing is, is like this. It's like as we were talking on last week's episode, how the fine dining kind of is dying off. Yeah. Um. What is it worth then to go? I mean, yes, you're getting this great experience and you can learn how to produce this amazing food. But at the same time, if you can't bring those skills back and utilize them at home, then in my eyes, you're kind of wasting your time. Okay. Unless you're a seeker of knowledge. Chimaroki. <laughs> seeker of knowledge. Chima. Um, that's the thing, though. But you're going over there. You're, you're, you're working with some of the best chefs in the world, all right? They can connect you with other places to get a job after your stage. Mm -hmm. Then you're paid. Then you're going to work somewhere, if not in the States, then somewhere else. You work there, you save up your money, somebody back home knows they wanna invest some money into you, they open a restaurant, boom, you got names behind you, you got support. You got a list of places that you worked. Your boss, for instance, I don't know his background, I don't know how he got his money to open up his restaurants, but- Kickstarter. Bam, there you go. But there you go. French laundry, man. Yeah, man. I mean, that's all it takes. True. We, 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 we catch these buzzwords all the time. We pick them up all the time. But the thing we is, hear, is like, we don't know anything about some of the chefs in our city that open up new restaurants, me and you, right? Yeah. We don't know who they are until they open up a place and we start asking. And then we start asking our friends, who are they? Where'd they come from? Who do they know? Why should we go and see it? And then you start hearing these these buzzwords of other chefs that you know that have their back, or so you know they're good. But that's not to say that they're better than the no name down the street that's worked at all these other places. No, that's true. You know that grind that just doesn't can't get you know can't get can't get a leg up. It's just tough because it's like a lot of these cooks have worked at these or a lot of these chefs um, are older. They've worked at these restaurants that were that are still famous, but more famous back in the day. And it kind of seems like in the next 10 years, where are these people going to work that are going to be opening up these restaurants that are, that are going to give them these names, you know, because like you can you can say you worked at the French Laundry, but in 10 years, like the French Laundry is going to be like, cool, you worked at the French Laundry, right? yeah. you know, old school, old school. Exactly. It'll kind of be like Canlis. Like everyone's like, oh, Canlis is amazing. Canlis is amazing. <laughs> but at the same time, it's a what? 50 year old restaurant. Yeah, I mean, they're, and they're always trying. I'm not going to shit on Candlest at all. Uh, oh, no, not at all. They, but make you good, they make good food, but I've known some busters that work there. Oh, me too. I've known numerous busters that work there, and they come out and they go like, oh, you worked at Candlest, and I'm like, you, I've worked with you. You suck. <laughs> they worked pantry. People, <laughs> people say I suck. I don't care. I'll flame you on a grill station <laughs> all day. Run that shit by myself in the weeds. <laughs> uh, anyway, why we bring this up though is because <coughs> what this person in this article is trying to say is it's not a level playing field. No. When it comes to um, some of these James Beard award winning, these Michelin rated, these uh, 
San Pellegrino, uh, world's best 50. It's not a level playing field because there's an unfair advantage that they have unpaid workers. If any other restaurant had to pay these employees, they would go out of business. They got, yeah. Um, they, they, what do they call them? They called them tweezer, um, tweezer bandits or tweezer, but it's like you, you somebody cooks the, the, pl- the, the dish and then sets it to be plated. They, somebody else plates it. That's unpaid. Yeah. And then somebody else come through with a pair of tweezers to and, place garnishes. And, and puts garnishes on it. Unpaid. Unpaid. Um, it, simple stuff is like shredding carrots. It's like the, you know, they're doing, they're making the mise en place. You know, working in a restaurant, one of the hardest things to do that never gets done is an endless task is your prep work. Yeah, uh, there's always prep to be done. A lot of these people that work in these fancy restaurants, all they show up for is service. Uh, they have a couple different assistants at their side, and uh, it's just an extra pair of hands really help. And if you don't have to pay those hands to even work, better. even better. <clears throat> so. What this article is trying to, you know, let people know out in public is that, um, you know, it, it's the name. It's the name and the chefs that bring these these kids around that that, that that idolize these chefs, which is not a bad thing. I mean, I look up to a lot of chefs. Um, some of my local chefs that I work with who haven't won any awards, I still look up to them like mentors, like teachers. That's what they are. Yeah. They're teachers. They're masters of their craft. And if you can work with them, you know, that that's a big fucking deal. But. Since you're idolized and you're worshipped by them, people are willing to sell their houses. Yeah, they're willing leave their loved le- ones. Leave their, leave their families behind. Live in utter squalor <laughs> just so they can be in the same room with you and breathe your same air and learn your craft. And that brings me to another good point is like a lot. Once you get to meet these chefs, they're, they're, they're terrible. They're not. Yeah. They're like fucking assholes. Like I know some, a couple people who have worked at, um, I hate to drop his name, but I'm just going to do it at Sean Brock for Sean Brock. And I'm like, I idolize Sean Brock. I think he's awesome. And I'm like, how is it working for Sean Brock? And they've all said the same thing. He's a fucking drunk. That's what I've heard too. He gets, uh, he drinks a lot, uh, while he's working. And uh, he says some pretty horrendous things. Yeah. And so I was like, well, that kind of sucks because now like this guy that I thought was like super cool, I kind of have a different outlook on or aspect, you know, look upon him. And it's it's that's the thing that I would have to say to um, the chefs out, the great chefs out there that are doing these sorts of things is that you have a persona to to um, give to these people and these kids and these, you know, adults who are coming to you to seek knowledge and who, as you said, idolize you. And, you know, you got to be an idol. Basically, you got to be that is not their job to live up to that hype. It's not their job to live up to that hype. But at the same time, you just because you're famous like that does not mean that you just get to shit all over everything else. Listen, uh, you know, I, I don't want to shit on the restaurant industry too much, but it's like this in a lot of other places and a lot of other industries too. It's a resume builder, yeah. right? You go work at a place and we talk about this all the time, working in a restaurant. You want to stay somewhere for a year, even if you hate it, just so it's your res- it's on your resume. But this happens, you're not going to hear anybody in other, in other professions. That's what kind of sets our restaurant industry apart from others is we will shit on other people. We will fucking talk shit about chefs and we will say that person fucking sucks and he's an asshole. Other places you go, um, everybody's quiet in the office. Yeah. At a corporate job, you go there, you put up with the sexual harassment, 
You put up with the with the racist, the blatant racism, and you just hush hush about it because you don't want you want them to give you give a good reference. Recon, yeah, reference recommendation for you when you go to work somewhere else. So you don't you hush hush. It was just time for me to go. Yeah, you know, like we just I I, I wanted to move on and I didn't. So you just move on another job and hope you get another some shitty other corporation. But with the restaurant industry, they are in desperate need of cooks right now. So you can go scoop up a job almost anywhere. Um, trying to go work for Ed Lee. But but how how is it that how is it that there's there's they're in desperate need of paid workers, but there's so many, many unpaid, unpaid workers willing to come work for free in these really, really nice restaurants. Because since they're unpaid, they probably can't do certain tasks because then that's liability insurance. Yeah, that's well. They say that. So they say that in this article is that um, here, at least in um, the United States of America, that you cannot, if you are an unpaid intern, you cannot do certain jobs that the restaurant will benefit from that they will not make money off of. But if you're shredding lettuce, then lettuce goes on a plate, then you're going to make money from it. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how they how they get away with a lot of this stuff. Um, I mean, I'm going to agree. I like staging. I, I like going to places to, to, to test out to see if I if I get along with the crew. Yeah. But there's definitely places that take advantage of it. Um, not so much here in the States, but definitely overseas. Well, I think I mean, it's kind of interesting because I think in the States when I've staged, because I've staged at quite a few places, um, I was actually talking to my sous chef about this the other day about how he was, I was like working, staging for Ed at Solare was probably one of my hardest stages that I've ever had. And he was like, why? And I was like, cause most stages you literally just stand and watch and you might shred carrots or, you know, help out with a little prep and mise en place here and there. But they're like, here, learn the dishes. And then usually like, I've never gone into a stage knowing that I wouldn't get a job because I know how easy stages are in this city. Well, they just they just want to make sure you can survive, survive. And they want to make sure you vibe. But when I worked for Ed, I went in there and I had to cook. He yelled at me the first time I staged. He was like, he's like, what the fuck are you doing standing around like work? You know, it's that's what a stage is. You're supposed find to be something cooking. To do. Yeah. Find something to do. Cook food. Not mindless work. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. We, we've laughed about it a lot of times. Me and you have. We <laughs> see but there lies, we're part of the problem too, because uh, we've worked places and I've done this before where it's like, oh shit, we got to stop. <laughs> Make him do the most mindless, stupidest work that we can think of that we don't want to do and just see if he can take the boring task and, and do us, it and us bitching at him about stuff. Knowing we're not going to hire the motherfucker. <laughs> we're like, we're not going to hire this dude. He just, he's doesn't vibe with the crew. Well, we had a stage the other day and he staged one day. I think he helped cover cause I was sick the other day. Um, he was, he was working the, the rest of the week. We got the job and he was, he was there every day. Well, congratulations. What's his name? Uh, his name is Jesse. I don't know his last name, big, but he was actually big Jesse. We call him Jesus. Um, he eats kosher, so that's a that's a Shabbat Shalom. It's a ringer because we're like, oh, family meal is tough now. Um, but he was actually working at Circadia, the restaurant that just closed down. Oh uh, yeah, 
So yeah. that was that was pretty interesting to have him fall into our lap. But yeah, like that was that's kind of the thing is it's like that's how our stodges go. Is like if you come in and you work and you prove that you can that you can handle the line, especially the second week of an opening restaurant, like boom, you got a job. I like to take my pick. I like to take my pick of the litter. So I like to have a bunch There's of stodges. There's not much to pick. There's not much to pick from. I know that's the problem. It's like if you a body comes in and, and is breathing and yeah. has two hands and two eyes, <laughs> ten fingers. <laughs> not even thinking you're missing a finger. A pinky. As long maybe. as I got like two fingers yeah. on one of the hands, like a claw. <laughs> you got a pair of chopsticks. Can Take you em. use tongs? <laughs> yeah. By the way, if any of you guys want a job, I'm looking to hire some people in my in the kitchen that I just took over. But uh, you don't want to work for Robbie because he's a bust. I'm a fucking G, homie. I have a lot of fun in my kitchens. I won't yell at you. I will make fun of you all day. Don't lie. You will yell sometimes. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah! I mean, I hate when people are like, "Um, so I don't yell. I'd like to give you a separation from work and life." And uh, no, I'm not, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not gonna slave. I'm not slaving away. You know, what I'm saying it's not gonna be twelve years of slave up in my kitchen. Uh, <laughs> Odd fellas, four tens, man. That's all I want. Four tens out of you. I got, I've been talking to a lot of people. What about four twelves? They want part time work. No, four twelves is not working. No, I don't want. I'm not trying to get people overtime. I don't want to hit them. I'm trying to keep my numbers low. Good anyway, uh, we just wanted to shine some light on what goes into this medal award, Michelin star, best restaurant. This doesn't like, happen at every James no, Beard award winning. No, 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 not at all, not at all. Uh, but this is stuff that goes on. You know, uh, a lot of stuff goes into this. These people winning, and, and a lot of these chefs that win these awards, they've been slaving away for a long. Yeah, time. they did the same thing they, at a worse time. Yeah, at a worse time. So you know, kudos to them. I want to congratulate all the James Beard Award winners. Uh, uh, Candlest, fuck man, your wine. I wish I could just come there and just drink your wine because <laughs> I don't want to go eat there. I can't believe they're still going that strong. Like, dude, shout out. But like, see, last year it's funny because last year the best um, Saumonier James Beard Award winner in the Northwest is at RN74, which is downtown. Yeah. So, uh, how is it that the Saumonier didn't win anything, but Candlest did? Because isn't that the person that chooses the wine program? Maybe yes and no. By the way, we, we were supposed to have him on a long time ago, but I never called him. The so, someone you have, Canlis or RN74? Oh, RN74. A buster. Jackie Light knows him and Matt James from How to Be Better. Jackie Better. Light. Jackie Light. Uh, we should have her on <laughs> Jackie Light. Maybe. She's fun. Uh, anyway, uh, Johnny, do we want to go over uh, that list real quick? No, let's not go over that list. Let's you sure? that list. Keith is going to get mad. No, Keith is going to be fine. Why did he be in the white? What? We didn't go over three topics. I don't give a fuck, man. We went long on this topic. Okay. Uh, are the invisible producer, if he was here? We'd be doing three topics, <laughs> but we're at 33 minutes and we're going to give the people the IOW uh, shout out to chef Tim Hodges. Uh, isn't that Tim's last name? Hodgson. Hodgson. <laughs> he just texted me today. Uh, he's wanting some help with some stuff. And he was like, my favorite part of your show is the IOW. That motherfucker's getting married. Yeah. And he's the head chef at what's the name of the place that he's at? Isn't it the it's dinner, a theater? dinner theater? Yeah, where Mark Wissing was working. Yeah, Mark was there for a while. Too. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but I'm proud of him. He turned his he turned his shit around. He did. I'm happy for him too. Uh, I have I I he, I ran into him at a bar a couple weeks ago or whatever. He said he worked at this dinner theater, and I was like, "Yo, my girl went to that dinner theater down the street. Said that food was terrible." And he was like, "That's where I'm at." <laughs> <laughs> he took it like a champ, though. I was like, "Ah, oh, shit, my bad." It takes time, but I liked him a lot. Uh, he's good people. Maybe we'll get him on the show. Uh, Maybe we'll go see dinner and a show. 
That's right. So I dedicate this IOW IOW to you, Tim. Uh, me and Johnny worked with him together. He's crazy, little punk rocker. Um, we chose a uh, Black Walnuts. Dim nuts. Dim nuts. Uh, Johnny, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'll go first. No, I'll go first. Okay, sounds good. All right, I'm making this. I'm gonna make this like uh, black walnut bourbon syrup. Ooh. Um, it's very versatile and going a lot of different things. So first of all, what you're going to need is two and a half cups of shelled black walnuts, uh, two cups of corn syrup, uh, four cups. Eh, let's do three cups of maple syrup, um, two tablespoons of uh, no, let's do um, let's do uh, two whole vanilla pods. You just want to scrape the, use the back of your knife, scrape all the goodness out of the inside of the. You're going to um, drop them, the rest of the pod back in there just to steep? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And then keep the, keep the pod. Um, and then you're going to want about a cup and a half of your favorite type of bourbon. Um, yeah. What's your favorite type? I use bullet. I like bullet. Everyone talks about bullet. I like bullet a lot. I mean, it's pretty basic, but it's good. Uh, so first thing you're going to do is you're going to uh, toss your uh, walnuts in um, the oven at about, I don't know, 350. Uh, you're going to toast those off till they look uh, nice and golden brown. Don't let them burn because it will ruin your whole thing. Uh, undercook them before, under toast them as opposed to over toasting them. Uh, you want to pull them out, let them cool. Uh, toss them with a little bit of, little little sprinkle of uh, salt. Uh, chop up your walnuts roughly. Uh, you want some pretty nice sized chunks in there. Um, and then you want to take uh, like a stainless steel pot. Uh, you want to mix your corn syrup. You make sure it's a heavy, heavy, heavy pot, right? The thickest one you got. Um, you want to mix your corn syrup with your maple syrup. Um, you want to heat up the syrups, not very high. Um, and then you just want to get them like frothy and bubbly, um, not boiling. Okay. You don't want to let it boil over. Um, and you want to turn the heat down and let it simmer, uh, to reduce it down. And then you want to throw in your, um, vanilla pods, your, uh, vanilla that you scraped out of the pods. Um, and you want to toss in your, uh, bourbon and then you want to bring it up to a boil, um, and then turn it down and let it simmer for about 15 minutes. And then you want to take off the heat and stir in your walnuts, right? And then you can store that in a jar in your refrigerator or just let sit out for a while. And you can put that on top of pretty much anything. You put it on top of ice cream, you put it on top of brownies. You can actually put it in some, a uh, couple different dishes too. Um, it's just like a nice, good topping with a lot, a lot, a lot of flavor. It's going to be super, super duper sweet, but, uh, it's going to be delicious. Nice. So you're not really candying it, but you're making like a, a syrup. Syrup. Yeah. So black walnut bourbon and vanilla syrup. Um, that sounds tasty. Yeah. Maybe I'll fuck with that during the holidays. I learned that it's kind of a mix. It's kind of a mixture of a um, of a syrup and a drink that I've had before that I combined them to make a <laughs> drink syrup syrup drink. Buster. It's pretty good. A liqueur? <laughs> yeah. Is that the word you're looking for? Something like that. Anyway. Get off the top of the dome, dude. <laughs> well, all right. So um, I'm going to do a black walnut vinaigrette. I should have put figs in there. <laughs> you should have. Anyway, so um, yeah, so black walnut vinaigrette is going to be super easy uh, for salad dressings, basically. Um, what you're going to do is you're going to get a cup of, or not a cup, two cups of black walnuts or regular walnuts, whatever. Black walnuts, um, they're interesting. They get a little funky sometimes. Um, what you're going to do is you're going to toast those walnuts. Uh, after they come out, 
you will get your blender mix ready with um, a little bit of fresh olive oil, um, a little bit of either canola oil or grapeseed oil. That's like your thinner oil, you know, so you're not wasting a bunch of money putting in olive oil. Um, I like to use champagne vinaigrette. Good stuff. Or champagne vinegar. Um, a little bit of shallot and some garlic. And what you're going to do is you're going to put the walnuts, the shallot, the garlic in the mixer with a little bit of olive oil. And you're going to blend that up into like a paste. Um, shut up, Robbie. <laughs> that, that wasn't me. That was the blend. That was the blender in the background. Anyway, uh, after that, you are going to add in your, your blend oil or whatever to blend that up. <laughs> going to hit you so hard. Um, you're going to blend that up until it's nice and creamy. Add some salt, um, add in your vinegar to taste. Some people like theirs a little bit more vinegary than Go others. Um, I like mine more vinegar. When we make ours at the restaurant, we, um, we like to make it. So when you try the vinaigrette that it, you feel it in the back of your lower jaw the tanginess. So if the back of your lower jaw starts to get a little numb, then that's where the right acidity is at. Um, you're not going to, you just want to put enough oil in to make it emulsified, nice and creamy. Um, and that's about it really. After you're done with that, you just top your goodies with it. You can do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. I like that. It's pretty good. How, uh, how fine are you chopping the, um, the walnuts down to? Uh, before or after, or did when you put it when the, with the garlic and shallot? Um, you're gonna you're gonna blend it until. So I was thinking, I was, I was thinking at the beginning, you do like a uh, a black walnut like uh, paste. Oh yeah, you can do that. And then and then mix in the shallot and garlic we, by hand. Well, we actually do a black with, garlic or a black walnut paste at the restaurant for our pig ears. Perfect. It's bomb. There you go, my G. Um, but yeah, so yeah, just uh, cut them up and then put them in the blender and blend that blend the shit out of it. You know. Do you want to use this Gucci rag to clean off your Versace glasses, John? Ooh. He's high roller now. Dog. I saw those Versaces in the car, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Stepped on up. Um, that is going to bring us to the end of episode 71 of Grill How Long Steak, mister. Are you mute, Johnny? Did you? Can I get a call back? I didn't know that you were calling it uh, out. I got to be louder. Uh, you got to be <laughs> more respectful. Sorry about that, Jahani. All right. Uh, yeah. I would like to thank uh, Studio 212 for letting us record here. Uh, I would like to thank the Soundcasting Network for hosting our podcast. Uh, if you want to reach me or Johnny on our social medias, uh, I'm at uh, Instagram at Bobby Stills. He's going to be at Johnny Toonami uh, for the show. Make sure you get a hold of us on uh, the Facebook uh, at Grill How Long Steak Mister. Also on uh, Instagram. We just did a video today for a preview of our show. It's going to be at Grill How Long Steak Mister. And then Twitters. Uh, you can reach us. Uh, I got my boy James Yader who did our graphics for us, did our photography for us. He's also running our Twitter because I am tw I was a Twitter retarded, but it's not very uh, PC. You're a twit. I'm a twit. So I'm not very good, but that's at how long steak, Mister. Um, also, keep the emails coming. We checked today; we didn't get no new ones. I want to thank Doltar Soul J for hitting us up. Uh, he texted me back, or he uh, messaged me on Facebook and said, uh, "Thanks for the response. He appreciated it." And uh, yeah, thank everybody for listening. Uh, yeah, grill how long steak, Mister. That's Mister Mr. at gmail.com. Please send us your emails. We like uh, we like talking to you guys online. We do. Uh, until next week, guys, uh, have a good uh, good week cooking in those hot-ass kitchens in the summertime. Start wearing them shorts, baby. Oh, sir. Grill. 
How long does it take, mister? Five minutes out. Eat a dick, bitch. 